Uh, bow with me in, in a brief word of prayer, and we'll get started in today's word. Father, we thank you uh, for how you've already begun to minister to our hearts today, Lord. And as as uh, uh, Christy said, uh, Father, uh, we want to leave here today changed. We want to be. We want to leave here today. Father God, a little bit more conformed into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and and uh, but above all, uh, Father God, we want to encounter you today in a real and substantive way. Um, we want to go deeper in our relationship with you, and so we would ask that you would grant us that, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, as you all are uh, no doubt aware that uh, we've been on the posture of discipleship for some time now. And uh, you guys, uh, can you tell me what our theme scriptures are? Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous or wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And Second Chronicles... 7, verses 12 to 14. All right, that's good. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, here's God's doing here. When I shut up the heavens, who is I? All right, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send the pestilence among my people. If my people, who is my? Who is my referred to? God, right? We're God's people. My is God. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The beautiful and wonderful and powerful encouragement that I received from that passage is that if we will do what this scripture says, the people of God, it doesn't matter what anyone else does or says. If the people of God do what he says here, he will hear from heaven. All right, and he will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. To God be all the glory for the things he has done. Amen. And so that let that be an encouragement to you. And so we don't have to worry about what the sinner does. We don't have to worry about what the godless does. We don't have to worry about that. They're going to do what sinners do. What matters is what we do. And if we will do what God has called us to do, God will do what he's promised he'll do. Amen? And so let that be an encouragement to you. So uh, that'll get us to today's message. And today's message is, the title is Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. And that's, I'm going to be teaching out of 1 Samuel chapter 30 today. Hey, All right, there you go, Bethany. I saw you standing there and your thumbs weren't working. Wait on the Lord. You know, that is an important posture of discipleship as well. 
knowing what it means to wait on the Lord, knowing the importance of waiting on the Lord. And just to give a little bit of a backstory on this, you know, uh, you know, everybody knows that David slew Goliath, right? A couple of y'all? Okay. Everybody knew David slew Goliath. And that was a big win for the king of Israel named Saul. And at first, Saul and David were all right. Saul loved him some David because David slew Goliath and won him a big victory. But you know what changed everything? Somebody wrote a doggone song. And in that song, it said, Saul slew his thousands, but David slew his ten thousands. And all of a sudden, David was getting more praise than the king. And all of a sudden, the king's heart soured toward him. And do you know, Saul tried to kill David on multiple occasions. He threw a spear at him, intending to pin him to the wall with it. Twice. He chased after David from place to place, day after day, trying to kill him. And there were times when David had the opportunity to kill him and chose not to. He had the opportunity to end the threat on his life. But even though this man was trying to kill David, David would not put his hands on God's anointed. So he wasn't going to take the matter into his own hands. He was going to wait on the Lord. Amen. This was God's man. God appointed him. He, God would deal with him. All right. And so David kept his heart pure and clean before God. But you know, Saul and his forces chased David so hard. David went from slaying this Philistine champion to working for the Philistine army. And he was great. Uh, the, uh, the Philistine, uh, uh leader, uh, Achish, he loved David and he had about a band of 600 guys. And boy, they, they on the battlefield, they were nothing to be trifled with. So he had to leave. I couldn't imagine. Could you imagine David, the slayer of Goliath, actually being in the employ of the Philistines? But that's how things had, that's how bad things had gotten for him. And that brings us here to chapter 30, verse 1, where it says, Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. Uh, Ziklag. You know, uh, I'm sorry, this is going to be a little rough in the beginning, but there's one last bit of information I wanted to say. Uh, Philistines are going to go up against Israel in the arm, in, in battle. Okay. And David had done everything. He'd been everything they hoped he could be for them in battle, but they were about to go up against Israel. And some of the generals of the Philistine army did not trust going into battle with David because they feared that in the middle of the battle, he might, he might go betray them. It turned on them and they would end up helping defeat them. All right. 
And so uh, Akers came to um, David and told him the situation and said, hey, man, you just got to leave. Our guys don't trust you. Uh, they don't want to go to war with you in this situation. And so David and his men, they go home. And here is what they happen upon when they arrive at Ziklag. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the window, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I want to go back. They killed no one but carried everyone off. And, 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 and here it says that that David and his men came to the city. They found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters all taken captive. All right? Now, David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Let's, let's camp there for a sec. And I, and I hope you men, I hope you men of God are hearing me here. All right, because in our culture today, a man weeping is something that makes you something less than manly. But I want you to know these men were men of war. These men were men of action. These men were passionate men who put their lives on the line for their country. And upon coming home and finding that their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive by enemy forces, they not only cried, but they wept. And they wept until they had no more strength to weep. You're right. So don't, and I tell you what, you can be a strong man and cry. I want you as little fellas, you may not be men yet, but, but don't let someone tell you you're weak because you're crying. God made us to cry for a reason. And it does not make you anything less than what God made you to be. All right? So if the situation calls for it, cry. Because in the Lord, God's strength will be made perfect in your weakness and, and, and you can encourage yourself and strengthen yourself in him. Amen? Cry and then lean into God and let God lift you up and strengthen you. So I didn't want to go, I did not want to skip past that. I want to actually talk about that and let that speak to us and, and so forth. Let it speak to us. These men cried till they had no more strength to cry. And here it is, 600, David and his 600 men, so at least they're 601. David 
Lord bless him. He has not only one, but two wives. And they've been taken captive. So he's feeling this thing too. He's with them crying till there's no more strength to cry. But it says here that he's greatly distressed. Because in the middle of his mourning, in the middle of his weeping, he has an added bit of pressure and an added bit of stress on him, on his life. It says here, he was greatly distressed for or because the people spoke of stoning him. Because all were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Now think about that. They're saying, look, man, you know, when, when, when we are stressed, when we're upset, when we've been hurt, when we've been rocked, human nature that causes us to look for somebody to blame for that. And David's in a position of leadership. These men were following him. They followed him every step of the way. Wherever God said go, they went with him. And they were loyal and they were faithful and they did everything right. And you know, when you do everything right, you feel entitled for everything to work out just right for you, don't you? You don't expect that in your loyal service to the Lord, in your faithful faithful following of your commander, David, you don't expect that your home is going to be invaded and raided and your loved ones are going to be kidnapped. And, and, and why didn't he foresee this possibly happen and leave some back for the protection of our families. This is all his fault. So in the midst of his grief, in the midst of his grieving, he has to concern himself with his life because he's got 600 soldiers, not not, not carpenters, This ain't 600 priests. This is 600 soldiers who are talking out loud. Okay, he's distressed because they're not mumbling this. This is not being whispered in the crowd. These people are having open conversation in his hearing about killing him. So I want to emphasize that. And so this man is understandably greatly distressed. No wonder he's greatly distressed. And he's got wives and daughters and sons to worry about too. And what does it say that he did? The, the, the last sentence in that passage that I read says, but, everybody say but. David strengthened himself. An other uh, passage or other translation would say he encouraged himself. Same word, encouraged, strengthened himself. In the Lord. You know, David wrote a lot of Psalms, and I'm going to reference one right now before we get back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 46. And to me, all of us have probably faced some very trying times. We've all faced, been in the crucible of life, and 
we can probably probably experience something that makes us relate to some degree to what David must be feeling in this moment. I don't know which of those soldiers that he was closest with. But the way I read that, he was a man on an island all by himself. Most of us have a a family member or a friend, a confidant, somebody that in these moments that we can draw on for support, someone who can encourage us and lift us up and strengthen us in these situations. But, But David has nobody but himself. Is that true? In the natural, he has nobody but himself. But the spiritual reality is that he had God. Amen? And so it looked pretty hopeless for him. But in that moment, you know how it is. In that moment when you're grappling with all the stress and strain and all the emotional baggage and everything, you, you're rocked. Every, your world is turned upside down. You're just, you, you, the, the ground doesn't even seem to be sure anymore. It just it may as well be like an earthquake. You can't even stand strong. And here he is, there's nobody to lean to. It doesn't say that they were, that that the crowd was split 50-50. All 600 were wanting to stone him. And so it said he strengthened himself in the Lord. And, and I think Psalm 46 gives us a glimpse of what that's about. We're only going to, we're not going to read the whole psalm. We're going to just read a, a few verses, but let's read the first three. He reminds himself. He brings to memory, brings to recollection things he knows about God because he's got history with him. And he says here, God is our refuge and strength. I want you to know that if you don't feel very strong this morning, God is your refuge and God is your strength. And he's a very present help in trouble. I can't help but remember before David slew Goliath and he was trying to convince King Saul to let him have a chance to uh, defeat Goliath. He said some things in his plea that convinced Saul to let this young boy try. Knowing that the fate of the kingdom was at stake. If this young boy lost to this monster of a man who's a seasoned warrior, Israel was going to have to yield to the Philistine army. What did he say? He's like, look, I got God on my side. It's not just me against him. There was a time when a lion threatened the flock that I was in charge of keeping. And God helped me to defeat and kill the lion. And there was a time when a bear tried to do the same thing. And God enabled me to defeat and kill the bear. And this man here will be like them before this day is out. And so he always understood that it was not just him in the middle of his circumstances. 
that 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 the natural factors at play were not the only thing that needed to be respected and acknowledged in that situation. The unseen, the powers of God, the, the, the kingdom, the presence of God was right there with him. Amen? And so, so he says, he reminds himself, God is my refuge. He is my strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Uh, he sure was in trouble, wasn't he? And he encouraged himself saying that God's a very present help, even in this mess. It's impossible mess. And then he, what does he say? Because God is his refuge and his strength, and because God is a very present help in trouble, he says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, at its swelling. What is that speaking to? You know, just imagine, just imagine this. Though the earth gives way, you know, that's kind of like an earthquake or the earth opening up, right? Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. You know, that speaks to me of situation of complete turmoil, complete chaos. Our lives are out of control. All right, we are powerless. We have no strength. We, you know, there's nothing that we can actually see how this thing is going to work out for us. Okay, so it's speaking to those situations of life that are completely beyond our ability to control. And so he's speaking from experience. He's speaking from knowledge. He's speaking from his relationship with God. That because God is a ref our refuge and strength in the very present help in trouble, he won't be afraid even when life has gone crazy on him. The presence of God anchor, he anchors his soul knowing that God is with him. And I want you to scroll down for those of you on your devices. <laughs> I'm so used to being on an electronic device. I say scroll. Instead of turn pages now. <laughs> All right. I want you to work your way down to verse 10. And here's what I believe David did in that moment. When his men were openly speaking of killing him. And who knows, he's probably beating himself up equally as much but it says in verse 10 and i'm going to read the esv version and then the nasb because it says it in a way that i like but it says be still and know that i am god you know be still or wait how many of you have ever uh posted a tweet sent a Facebook post, an Instagram message or whatever, and regret it after you sent it. And <laughs> you wish you'd have had to, you wish you'd have waited. You'd have been patient. You wish you would have let the emotional rage, you wish you would have let how you felt in that moment subside before you hit sin. 
right? <laughs> you know? And so, to me, of course, they didn't have social media back then, but David in that moment had an opportunity to react. He's been a great leader for them all this time. He's suffering the same thing they're suffering. And how dare they speak of trying to kill him and put all the blame on him? That's what we would tend to do, right? If somebody posted something on social media about us and we didn't like it, oh no, it's on now. We got to, uh-uh. Sin. And once it's gone, you can't take it back. Right? And so we've got to learn. We always think that waiting on the Lord is like, okay, I'm praying for God. I'm praying to God for God to do something. Then I'm just going to wait and wait and wait and hope sometime, some year, he's going to do this or that and the other. No, no, no. Waiting on the Lord includes waiting on him in the moment of decision as well. I'm going to take a moment. I'm not going to just react right here. I'm going to wait. And I'm going to inquire of the Lord as to, as to this situation. What would he have me do in this moment? He says, be still. Psalm 46 verse 10. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still is translated in the NASB as cease striving and know that I am God. Stop the striving. Stop fighting your own battles. Stop deciding on your own what is the way to go here and take a moment to inquire of the Lord as to what he would have you do. That's part of waiting on God too. God, oh, in this moment, mm, my, my soul says one thing, but I'm going to wait. <laughs> I'm going to wait and I'm going to let God speak to me because uh, this isn't about me. God says he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. He should be exalted in this moment right now in and through me. How can I allow God to be exalted in this moment? That should be the question that we ask ourselves when we're rocked. Are you hearing that? Does that make sense? Let's go back to First uh, Samuel chapter 30. So David strengthened himself in the Lord. He had an opportunity to hit sin. I'm sure he had something typed up that was really scathing. But he didn't hit sin. He went to the Lord. And in verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. And he says, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And I want you to know, there are times in the Bible, uh, Judges uh, 20, 19 or 20 is one of those, where they ask God that question. But they already made up their mind that they were going to do it. 
And God even said, go ahead and do what you're going to do. And they got their teeth beat in. And they went to him again. And God said, go ahead. And they lost again. And they were in the right. They were in the right. But God taught them something there. And the third time they came back humble. Should we go or should we not go? Then God said, go for I've given them over into your hand. They went and had victory then. The lesson there was don't decide on your own what the course of action is and ask God to bless it. You you come humbly to God and ask God what his will is. Should we go or should we not go? Should I go? Should I do this or should I not do this? And allow God to give you the answer. And when he gives you the answer, you accept it and you obey him. Amen. And so, and so that tells me, even though it's not as wordy, it's not as verbose, David goes up to him and says, shall I pursue them? Shall I overtake them? That, 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 in the spirit of that, he's, he's willing to obey God either way. Shall I go, Lord? It's a, it's a right heart behind it. Shall I go? Shall I pursue them? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. This, he went to God and God told him, pursue them. For you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. I bet those men, uh, the band of uh, the raiding party took not only their wives and children, they took all their possessions as well. But I'll bet being a husband and being a father myself, those guys could care less about those possessions. What mattered was whether they would be able to rescue the ones they love. And so God tells them, pursue, you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. That's what the guys were weeping over, the loss of their wives and children. They weren't, they, they, they weren't weeping over the loss of possessions. And so God speaks to him. So, so how did David encourage himself? David didn't react. He didn't react. Here's what he did. And, and some of y'all who are my age and a, and a little older, uh, in other words, those of you who are 35 and up. What's so funny? No. There was a campaign at one point, you know, that was trying to get people to learn how to cross the street without getting killed. And it was stop, look, and listen. And they had a little song, stop and look and listen before you cross the street. You know, so that you don't get hit, so that you don't get run over, so that you don't play a living game of Frogger out there, right? And so what did David do? He didn't react because he's, I'm telling you, his emotions are pretty raw as well. He didn't react. Uh, even though they're threatening his life, he stopped. All right? Stop, look, listen. He stopped. He encouraged himself to look to God. Right? And then he listened to what God said. He stopped, he looked, and he listened. And then he obeyed what God said. We're going to get into that. And he obeyed what God says. You know, and the thing that allowed him to get to that place is he remembered his history with God. I'm saying that again. He remembered 
his history with God. He remembered being a little shepherd boy. He remembered what God did for him against the lion. He remembered what God did for him against the bear. He remembered what God did for him against Goliath. He remembered his history with God. Because God has been faithful to me in times past, he can and will be faithful to me in this present situation. Amen? And so he remembered his history with God. He remembered God's help in times past. And and I just want to tell you, when you go to God, you're just going to have to commit before you go, before you even go to him, you're going to have to commit that you're going to obey God's word even if the thought of doing it scares the heck out of you. I'm going to say it again. You're going to have to commit to obeying God's word even if the thought of doing what he's told you to do scares you. Now think about this. David, think about David's situation here. He's lost his own wives and children. He and his men are exhausted. They just travel three days, roughly 20 miles a day, going from where they were to get to Ziklag. So they're exhausted. They're physically exhausted. They're emotionally drained. They're spent. They've cried themselves, so they, they cried themselves out. They couldn't cry anymore. So, and those exhausted men, 600 of them, wanted to kill him. And when he went to go to God, God told him to pursue the Amalekites. <laughs> now, think about this. Now, is David going to have to, is he going to be able to pursue the Amalekites by himself? He's going to need those 600 dudes with him, isn't he? But they want to kill him. God's going to have to do a work in those men in order for them to take, they're already blaming this guy. We followed you and look what happened. And now you're going to have to go to them and ask them to follow him again. Come on. What are the odds of that? But God says pursue, so he's going to have, God's going to have to do a miraculous work in these guys' hearts, and he did that. So if he overcomes that hurdle and gets those guys to agree, then there's another problem. They got no idea where they're at. Where'd they go? We don't know. And so, but he commits. It may not make sense. He doesn't see how it's going to happen. God said, pursue. I'm just focused on, David is like, I'm just focused on obeying God. And I could imagine in his appeal to those 600, okay, I went before God. I was praying. God said, we can get everyone back. We'll be able to rescue all of our loved ones. They're like, okay, I'm on board. Where are they at? <laughs> uh, did God tell you that? No, he didn't tell me where. Uh, he just said pursue. You know, God worked that out some kind of way. Um, and so let's go to verse 9. So David set out. And we're going to see God's miraculous provision here. He's already worked it out. 
One thing about our taking our problems to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they don't have to, after, after hearing your request, they don't have to have a powwow and figure out what to do. They already knew the situation. They knew it before you did. They already have a solution for it before you even ask for them to. Right? So, so while David and his men don't know how they're going to track them down, God already has provision in place for it. So David set out, verse 9, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor. I hope that's the right pronunciation. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor. Now, he's only got 600, and he's going up against, we're going to find out, he's going up against, he's going to end up going up against a larger military force, a larger group of men. Because, probably getting a little ahead of myself here, but because when he, when he sacked them, when he defeated them, it says that, it says they fought from dusk one day to evening of the next day, and 400 of them got away on camels. So if 400 got away, they had a whole lot more than 400 to start with. Okay, so David leaves with 600, but 200 of his men, a third of them are too exhausted to cross the brook. So he keeps them with the supplies. So now his forces are down from 600 to 400, and somehow God's going to be able to, God's going to give them the ability to defeat that, <laughs> to defeat the enemy and rescue their loved ones. So 200 stay behind. And here goes God's provision. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. Goodness gracious. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? They have no idea who this guy's associated with or not. It's some guy they met, they helped him, and they're just going to ask him questions. To whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he says, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. It was an Amalekite band that, that, that took his, their families. Servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the uh, Carathites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he says, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. God's provision. Had no idea when he committed to obey God to pursue them. He didn't know where to pursue. And, and you know, and, and God provides a young Egyptian servant that had been abandoned by his Amalekite master to give him the answers that he needed. And so he told him to swear to him that he will not kill him or give him over to his master. 
And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And and now, here he goes. Was he intimidated by that large spread of humanity that was down there? He only had 400 guys to fight with at this time. No, he wasn't. Verse 17, and David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. He was the guy that they wanted to kill. Now they're saying, he's our guy. This is David's spoil. Look what he has done. But it all started with him waiting on the Lord. There's at least 601 of them there. Only one man. In his grief, in his pain. Only one man. Chose to wait on the Lord. And the amazingness of God is that all it took was that one man. Choosing to wait on the Lord. For everybody, loved ones to be rescued. Amen? He waited on God. He inquired of God. He heard God. And he obeyed God. Every word that God said, he obeyed. And God was faithful, true to his word. God proved himself to be a very present help in his time of need. Amen? And so, only one man out of the 600 plus. And going back to the 400 that ran away, the way that they slaughtered all those guys, if they fought from dusk of one day to the evening of another, if you're going to fight for over a day, my goodness, uh, let's put it this way. There's a lot of bodies that was left on that field. And if 400 got away, they probably fought thousands. And it didn't matter. Because it wasn't just their band of 400 against the enemy's thousands. It's the same. The same thing is true here. Involving armies. That has been true in David's personal life ever since he was a boy. It wasn't just David and a lion. It was David and his God against the lion. And he won. It wasn't just David against a bear. It was David and his God against the bear. It wasn't just David and Goliath. It was David and his God against Goliath. And, 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 and God was a very present help in every situation. So it wasn't just David and his 400 against the Amalekite forces. It was David, his 400, 
and is God. And God showed himself strong on his behalf, and he was a very present help for him. So uh, let's, let's just finish it out, the last five verses or so, and we'll call it good. Then David, verse 21, came to the 200. I, I couldn't skip this part. I could have stopped there, but I couldn't do it. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us into battle, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. Except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. They, they get their wives and kids. They're not getting anything else. And for all I know, some of y'all might agree with that, that sentiment. But David is having none of it. David says, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has. You see, this is not us. This, we didn't get this for ourselves. The Lord has given us this. And, and I tell you what, uh, by the way, shameless plug, Bible study, Friday nights, Last Friday night, Aaron delivered a great word. We had a good time in the word of God. 7 p.m., we're down in the basement, 7 to 8.30-ish, all right? And God does a wonderful wonderful job there. And Steve Irby, uh, I, I find myself going back to this. When I read this, when I read this situation here, it made me think of comparisonitis, Steve, that, 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 that teaching you did on one Bible study. And so... And so here they are, they're, they're infected with comparisonitis. They're like, look, man, we went and fought this battle and won the battle. These guys, they, they sat around at the brook and didn't do anything. So why should they receive of the spoils that we have gotten? You know, these guys, they did everything they could. It says they were exhausted. They weren't afraid to fight. These guys had been in many battles. They were just exhausted. They had given all that they could physically and emotionally give. And so they were chosen to stay with the supplies. And so David chastises them and says, no, you should not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is, who does go down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. Everybody's going to get the same share. You who went to the battle and the ones who stayed with the supplies, everybody's going to get the same. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. He says, as a matter of fact, Going forward, this is a rule. This is law. We're not having this argument or this debate again. We're a team. We're a unit. We're one. And, and, and whatever the various roles are in this, we all share in the spoils alike. We are unified. We will not be divided amongst ourselves and, and try to make one group of us seem more important than another group. 
We will not devalue one of them. And so, so he says, and he made a rule, he made a law for Israel that that day forward to this day. When David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And I, and I'll finish right there. It's interesting to me that, uh, I don't know if he ever said it any other way, but when he addressed the men who didn't want to give the one, the, the 200 that couldn't cross the brook, he said, we can't be this way with what the Lord has given us. You know, he, he's not, he's not personalizing it and saying, Hey, look, I'm the king. Well, the future king. I'm the leader. <laughs> I'm the leader and what I say go. No, he's like, this is not, I get to decide. I'm the leader and I get to decide. No, this, we can't behave this way with what the Lord has given us. And when he speaks to the elders, his friends, he doesn't say, here is a present for you from the spoils that I have gotten against them, you know, uh, uh, from, from our enemies. He says, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And so that relationship with God is always front and foremost in his mind. It is his motivation. It is what drives him. And it is that relationship that caused him to rise up from the depths of his despair and remember that there is a God in heaven who is on his side. There is a God in heaven who's a very present help in, in time of need and he was able to encourage himself in and through that relationship. This looks bad, y'all. This looks bad. I'm about to die here. By the hand of my own men. Wait, wait, wait. Let me get away from here. Let me go to God. God, you've been there for me time and time and time again. And yet I come here yet another time to seek your face, to put my trust in you again. If there is a way, I know that you will present it to me. I know that you are able to get me out of this impossible mess that I'm in. And he just says, speak to my heart, oh God. And God spoke. And he will speak to you if you do the same. He's a very present help for you. And I may be speaking to someone today who's in that chaotic time in life. The, the ground seems shaky beneath you. Uh, uh, the, 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 the oceans, the seas are, are, are just raging in your life. And so life is just one big storm. A situation is just one big storm in your life. And, 
and and you've you feel like you've gone down twice and you're about to go down for the third time and drown in it. I would encourage you to do as David did when he was in that moment. To strengthen yourself in God. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Inquire of him. Don't react. Because, you know, a lot of times when you have a, a coast guard and so and, and, and those swimmers, they go out and they try to save the people. The people are so desperate. They, you know, out of instinct, they're reacting. And their reaction could cause them to drown themselves and the Coast Guard diver that's trying to save them, right? And so we don't want to react, you know, because our reaction might cause us to make a split-second decision that we'll regret for the rest of our lives. And so we need to learn to wait. Not to follow that first instinct, but to keep it at bay and wait. And and, and by waiting, it doesn't necessarily mean you wait and do nothing. It, the, the, the waiting is that we're going to God. I, I, I'm going to hold off what would have been my reaction. And I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to inquire of him, and I'm going to wait for him to speak. And whatever he speaks is what I will do. And I tell you that if you will commit to do that, you know, that this is a very simple, very tried and true uh, principle. If you will commit to do that, you'll see God do for you similar things that he's done for David as he has put his trust in him. Uh, there's a reason God gave us these stories in the Bible, that, that they're there to strengthen us and encourage us in our faith and in our walk with God. And so I would encourage you to wait on him. Hear God. And do what he said. So one man, one man encouraged himself in the Lord. One man out of 600 plus. I'm going to ask you to stand. One man. Got quiet before God. He stilled himself. He held back what would have been his emotional reaction. But he got quiet. He looked to God. He heard from God. And he obeyed God. And what was probably the scariest moment of his life, God turned it around for his good and the good of the men that were with him and their families. And in God, because he did that, they got all their loved ones back, their wives and children, all their possessions, plus other possessions that the Amalekites had plundered from other people. So they ended up being even more blessed than they were before this whole saga began. God is good. So remember your history with God. If you ever 
really needed God to come through for you and he came through for you, don't take that for granted. That wasn't just 10 years ago and that's just supposed to stay in, in your, you know, stay in that, t- in that era in time. No, 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 no. Let that be etched in your mind as a memorial. Continual evidence that God was with you, a very present help for you in that moment. And that same God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he'll be with you a very present help in this moment. And he will work that situation out for you. No matter how impossible it may seem in the moment. Father God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We thank you so much, Lord, that you're a very present help for us in every situation. Uh, Father, just give us, uh, Holy Spirit, just convict us each and every time we face a difficult circumstance. Each and every time life becomes overwhelming. Uh, uh, Each and every time there's a storm of life that threatens our safety, our peace, and and maybe even our own well-being in our own life. Convict us to bring into remembrance the things that God has done for us. Bring us into remembrance that he has history with us. We've got history with God. And that he's good, He's been faithful to us. That among his names are the names faithful and true. Convict us that we should bring ourselves into remembrance. The faithfulness of God, even in the midst of the chaos. So that we might encourage ourselves to go to him again in our current situation. And give him an opportunity to speak to us. That we might obey him. And in the process of our obeying him, he will be exalted and glorified. Father, we thank you for that. And we ask you to do that in our lives, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, praise the Lord, everybody. Uh, uh, Love you guys. And I just want to encourage you to just wait on the Lord. Walk with him. Inquire of him and let him speak to your heart concerning your situation. And, and, uh, you know, God will be a very present help for you. Amen. All right. God bless.